Welcome to this week's Eccentric Minute, brought to you by Eccentric. This week's Eccentric Minute is the K-Box Kickstand RDL. This is an exercise that ticks a lot of boxes for me. We're looking at single leg strength, we're looking at posterior chain strength, and we're looking at anti-rotary stability all in one exercise. Uh, for this one, I like to do it with my back foot on the toe plate that comes with the K-Box. This is something that's really helped me when it comes to being able to sit more into that front leg's hip. Uh, I like to set my foot right even with where the tether comes up from the K-Box and then give it a good old kick back, push your hips back, keep your shoulders square, and really stretch into that hamstring and the hip of the front leg. From there, we're just trying to drive that foot down, pull our hips through, and again, keeping that posture and trying not to drop our shoulders. Give this one a try. I'm sure it's one that you and your athletes are going to love and see great results from. I really hope you enjoyed this week's Eccentric Minute. Make sure you check them out at eccentric.com to find out everything you need about the K-Box and the K-Pulley. Being a strength and conditioning professional requires constant pursuit of better knowledge, better methods, and better means. But what if there was a place where strength and conditioning coaches could learn from some of the most innovative practitioners in the world, such as Jeff Moyer, Lachlan Wilmot, William Wayland, James the Thinker Smith, and Kirwenham Flat. Well, you can find multiple lectures from each of these top-level coaches and a few lectures and examples from yours truly as well, all in the Strength Coach Network. The Strength Coach Network is going to bring you well over a hundred different lectures from some of the top practitioners in the world to be your one-stop shop for your continuing education and professional development. So hop on over to strengthcoachnetwork.com slash today and get your 48-hour trial for only a dollar. That's strengthcoachnetwork.com slash CVASPS to get your 48-hour trial for only a dollar. I look forward to seeing you in the Strength Coach Network. Dave, thank you so much for spending the time with us today, man. Oh, dude, fired up, man. I've been listening to this for, for a long time, so I'm just excited to get on here. I'm glad some other people have gone before me, so I don't have to break the ice. Yeah, well, listen, brother, I'm fired up for this because we're going to take this in a little bit of a different direction uh, than the typical way we've been going of late. But before we get too far into this, you know, who is David Kitchen? You know, where are you at? And uh, how'd you get into what you're doing now, man? Yeah, definitely. Uh, so kind of Cliff Notes version. Um, went to Susquehanna University, small D3 school in, in central Pennsylvania. Had the opportunity to play ball there. Um, got kind of sidetracked with injury and like so many other strength coaches fell in love with the barbell as part of my rehab process. Um, so I graduated with a business degree, went into the business field, selling IT systems and cloud software and realized very, very quickly that that was not for me. Um, that was not where I wanted to be. So started calling around and seeing if there's any coaching opportunities um, with football, ended up coaching at the high school level um, running the weight room there and doing strength and conditioning at a very rudimentary level. Um, but it, it really kind of light lit a fire for me and was like, Hey, you know what, this is really what I want to do um, with my life. So sat down and started writing letters and, and asking coaches who, where can I intern? How do I get into this thing? And, and got lucky enough to get hooked up with Todd Hammer um, who brought me out to Robert Morris, gave me a shot. And, you know, the rest kind of started to snowball from there. You know, I got the opportunity to come home, to Bloomsburg University, which is not far from where my parents lived. I actually ran out of money at Robert Morris. And uh, so I was able to intern at, at Bloomsburg for a semester. 
and the assistant who was there at the time quit. Um, and so the director of football came to me and said, well, you know, you want this assistant job. And so I was able to step into that. And then uh, from there, we only had strength and conditioning for football. There was nothing organized for the rest of the university, which, you know, there's a ton of really successful programs there. So I was really thrown off by that. Um, but we sat down, had a conversation and decided to start pursuing to make that kind of a, a whole, you know, encompassing thing for the whole university. And so we pitched it to the AD. Um, he said, you know, I'm on board. Let's see how many teams sign up in the first year. And then if it, if it takes off, we'll create a position for it. So we pitched it to the school, seven teams signed up. So I was now the assistant and I had seven teams. Um, and, and it was, it was really cool. It was a really awesome experience. And then the next year they, they created the position. They created a director of strength and conditioning position for the entire university. Um, and honestly, I didn't expect to get it. I was, I was young. I was 24, 23, um, completely underqualified, figuring it out as we all are. Um, and, you know, I was lucky enough to get the job and, that gave me experiences that I can never thank any people enough for. You know, it was unbelievable to be that age and, and have that, that experience in that seat with 21 sports underneath you and go from, you know, being an assistant with football to now being over everything. Uh, it was, it was unreal. And having people like Bill Perkins, who was the football director in my corner made that such an easy, you know, transition and made it such a beneficial thing for me. So spent a year and a half doing that, then was able to go, out to UNLV as the assistant director of football strength and conditioning, um, was working with softball as well out there. Then from there, I came back home, went to uh, Susquehanna University, my alma mater, as the director of strength and conditioning, spent some time there, and then got hooked up with uh, Coach Byington and the Georgia Southern staff, um, was able to transition to Statesboro and Georgia Southern University and, and run basketball last year. And then obviously with COVID going on, um, things got shut down, you know, kind of sent me on a soul searching journey um, to kind of see what I wanted to do and, and how I wanted to handle this, this transition point with COVID. And I decided it was time to make a change. And so I got out of, out of the college sector and, and started training private sector and actually launched the business as well. So now I'm doing uh, leadership development, some consulting work, and I'm also training on the side as well. It's a heck of a ride, man. Yeah, it's, it's been a crazy seven years, man. It's taken me all over the country and, introduced me to some awesome people and, and given me unbelievable experiences. So it's, it's been really fun. Now I want to definitely get into this new venture because I think that this is important. And I think that this is something that a lot of us talk about, you know, when, it, when we talk about, a lot of us talk about this when things aren't going like we'd like them to go. Let me say it that way. <laughs> yep. Because the two words of leadership and culture are like super buzzwords that tend to kind of have a level of fake confusion around them. Yeah, definitely, definitely. I think uh, a lot of times, you know, from my perspective, what happens is we get this gap um, between the two types of culture. And, and I think there's, it's important to understand both of them. So the way I look at it is like your stated culture is kind of what you say you're about. So what you say your team's about, this is your, you know, hashtag dig in, hashtag big, big we, little me, you know, all those, all those catchphrases. Um, and then your experience culture is what's actually going on day to day. You know, what are your behaviors within your team and not just your team, your staff, the whole organization, um, what, what's actually being experienced by them. And I think the bigger that gap becomes, 
where your stated culture is one thing, but your experience culture is something completely different, that's when you start to have that, that storm and that situation where, you know, you're not aligned with your goals. And so I think a lot of times, you know, coaches and, and myself included, you know, we put these words out here and we say, you know, we're different breed, we're this, we're that, we're whatever, but then our actions sometimes slip away from that. And it's not intentional. It's just that it, it isn't really part of our character yet. And so it's like, if you don't maintain it consistently, you know, culture is something you have to maintain consistently, consistently, consistently. And then it protects you when you need it most. You know what I mean? So it's almost like an insurance policy um, in the sense that if you get in that late game situation, that's when culture takes over. When it's, when it's three minutes left in the, in the second half and, you know, you're down seven, um, that's when culture takes over. But on the flip side of that, when you see teams that collapse – and, you know, it's a tight game and there's four minutes left. That's when culture takes over. Um, and so I think as coaches, we have to be very honest with ourselves about how big is that gap between our stated culture and our experience culture and what can we do to bridge that? And that's a daily endeavor, man. That's, that's a full-time engagement. Um, and, it, and it comes down to habits and leadership um, and consistently maintaining those two things. Yeah, dude, a hundred percent. And I, I think to kind of wheel around back to something we were talking about before, you know, at first like people talked through this whole COVID thing about the need to have a come out with like a side hustle or whatever, or take this time to be aggressive with something you wanted to do. But you actually went out and did it. But there was like kind of an aha moment we were talking about before. And I think that this is a story that's important for coaches to hear because I think all too often we get into this same rut. We just don't know we get into it. Sorry, I, I didn't hear you cut out there for a second. Oh, I'm sorry. So we, we all get into this same rut, right, where we, we get stuck trying to get these kids to do things, but we don't know that we're into it. So talk to us about where this idea for the Leadership Academy came from. Yeah, so how this is going to build. Absolutely. So I, I kind of been batting this around in my head for a while. Um, I just, over my, my time in strength and conditioning and, and also coaching on the field back at the high school level, you know, I, I constantly heard coaches say, we need more leaders and we need this and, and people need to step up and lead. Um, and then I, I kind of realized, like, we're not teaching people how. We're not giving them a process of, you know, X leads to Y leads to Z. This is how we lead. Um, versus in the weight room, you know, we have progressions. We go from a goblet squat to a front squat, from a front squat to a back squat to a safety. So there's a progression to it. We load it. We test it. We measure it. Um, and that tells us if we're on the right path. We don't do that with leadership. Um, and so I think that's something that, that needed to be fixed. And I, I didn't know how at first. I wasn't sure how I was going to go about it. And I had a young man who I thought was a phenomenal leader. Um, I thought he was a really, really strong leader for us. And he came in my office and, and he said, you know, Coach, I've been the best player on every team I've ever been on. And everybody's always telling me to lead, but nobody ever taught me how. I don't know what I'm doing. And that was kind of the light bulb moment for me. Like that was like, oh, man, if this kid feels this way, how many other kids go through this? And what can I do to add value in that, you know, and how do I kind of bridge that gap and fill that need? Um, and I think it's, it's something that, you know, I'm figuring out along the way, 
as far as the business side of it, but the add value piece is is what's huge. And I've always had this kind of obsession with with leadership and, and the human processes. Um, and so that kind of led me into to working on my PhD in psychology. And so I was like, you know what, if I have some of the tools in this toolbox and the experience of working with, you know, 56 different teams in a seven year period, um, why can't I be the one to fill this need? And so that's kind of where it was born from, but it's all about just adding value. And it's not just the student athletes. I mean, I've had some really beneficial conversations with coaches and administrators that are also looking for the same thing, because ultimately if we can build leaders and start to empower people to take on leadership roles and build their leadership toolbox throughout our whole organization from the top down, it's so much better, right? Because we talk as strength coaches, we say all the time, if you want to be a director, start thinking like a director right now, right? We say that to our assistants, we say that to our GAs. If you want to be an assistant, start acting like an assistant. Well, it's the same thing all the way through, guys. In any organization, if we want better leaders at the top, we got to start grooming them early and we got to start teaching them these things. And along the way, we have to measure it, load it, and, and have a progression to what we're doing. So I've almost stolen the kind of uh, progressions that we use in the weight room of X, Y, and Z and transitioned it into this leadership concept of like, this is where we start and this is where we're going to go. And we're going to climb the ladder and we're going to stress each you know tool and each trait at each level before we move to the next. That's pretty awesome. And I think that that's actually, unfortunately, I think that's a unique way to look at it because I don't think, I think all too often, and this is not to diminish what it is, but just because they're called this, mm -hmm. soft skills, if you may, with that, are typically looked at without some form of evaluation that is um, solid. Like, it, it'll be like the, are you a blue, green, yellow, orange type personality type thing where it isn't a, all right, let's build on this. This is the foundational stuff like your general strength or your aerobic base. And then when we do that, we can move up a notch to, you know, whatever your special strengths are and more specific biomotor demands. Like, I think that's pretty rad. Yeah, and, it, and it's exactly what you just said. Like, if you look at the pyramid, so even if you look, use Vermeil's pyramid, right, and we look at it that way, at the bottom, basic skills, communication, empathy, vulnerability, okay, self-efficacy, all these different things, those play into it, and then we move up. Okay, now it's the feedback process. Can you receive feedback? Do you have the self, if you don't have the self-efficacy, which is at the bottom of that base, and someone gives you feedback, you're not going to be able to receive it and vice versa. You can't give feedback because you're not confident enough in yourself to be critical without it affecting your own self-worth. It's all built in this pyramid style. In my mind, that's just the way I, I think of it, but it all leads up to those more in-depth leadership skills, you know, such as communicating your vision and those types of things. But again, even within that communicating the vision, what's the key word? Communicate. Well, who taught this person how to communicate effectively? When did we learn how to read people? How are we testing that? Are we putting our student athletes and our staff members in situations to do those things? And then are we, as the, the leader, evaluating how well they did and doing a film study on that? You know, that's, that's my thing is like, are we sitting down as if I'm the director of strength and conditioning and I hear my assistant 
blowing up a GA, am I just writing it off as, hey, he blew up the GA? Or am I going to sit down and talk about, hey, let's talk about how you communicated that? And I'm not saying it was wrong. You know, there are times where you got to blow somebody up. But was he holding them accountable? Was the GA able to receive the information that he was trying to give them? Or was his feedback process wrong? And in which case, how do I help him get better at that? You know, and I think that's all the way, whether it's staff or athletes. Yeah, man, I think that's a great example, too. And I guess that that's just going to lead to a simple question, too. When you do get the opportunity to talk with people or when you do keep working to build these curriculum, where are, like, the big ones that you look at and you're like, we missed the boat on this, like, like there's got to be something where we're sitting there swinging at a curveball like Pedro Serrano. Hundred percent. I think the biggest one, man, two biggest ones. One, self awareness. I think as an industry, whether it's strength and conditioning or athletics in general, and business at times too, because I've been able to work with some businessmen, we are so adverse to admitting our faults. We're so adverse to really taking an honest reflection and inventory of where we're at. Um, and you can't get better if you don't admit those blind spots, if you don't honestly look at them and evaluate them, not from your own eyes. And so one of the things that I do is I give a culture survey to the team and it's anonymous, but I give a culture survey and then I take those results to the coach and I say, hey, here's what's really going on. This isn't from me. This isn't me making things up. This is what your team says, you know, and then, then you see the, the light bulb moment. Then you see the aha, like, oh, wow, I am missing the boat on this. And exactly like you said, I'm getting locked up on a curveball here. Um, and so but in order to do that, we have to have a level of humility, right? We have to be able to admit that maybe we don't know everything. And you can sit here and say kids are soft or this or that. But the reality is, like, if you're in a leadership role, your preferred leadership style is irrelevant if the people that are you're trying to lead can't be led that way, if that makes sense. So if you have a group that is, you know, traditionally more, more predisposed towards, you know, love them hard, coach them hard, and then you come in and you don't love them hard and you just coach them hard all the time, it's not going to be a successful culture. It's just not because the connection's not there, right? And so that leads to another piece, which is, I think this is where we miss tremendously, and it's a misunderstanding, is the word vulnerability right? You say vulnerability in a room full of coaches and people get the heebie-jeebies, like they get all weirded out on you. And it's like, guys, I'm not talking about sitting around a circle singing kumbaya, okay? Vulnerability to me is, are you encouraging kids on your team and people within your organization to take risks, to bring new ideas to the table, okay? Because that is a sense of vulnerability, right? Why don't you speak up in an athletic department meeting? If you're the director of strength and conditioning and they're talking about budgeting, why don't you speak up? Well, because you're afraid of being judged. That's a form of vulnerability. That's what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about being vulnerable in the sense of bearing your soul to somebody. I think that's where we miss because if you handle those things and you allow vulnerability within your team and within your staff, you're going to build legitimate trust and legitimate relationships so that now you can coach them hard. Now you can push because they trust you and they understand that you're a human as well. So I think two of the biggest opportunities for for a new coach and anybody that's listening to this and I screwed them up myself two of your biggest opportunities whenever you're a new leader is your first opportunity to show vulnerability whether that's admitting you made a mistake and owning it um 
you know, taking a risk on something and maybe failing forward, um, anything like that. The other big opportunity is your first disagreement. How do you handle it? What is your reaction? Because that's going to tell everyone in the room how well you manage your emotions. And as leaders, it's our job to be the constant, not the variable in people's lives. They, they look for a level of consistency. So that, that's kind of where I think we miss is vulnerability and self-awareness. That's a huge quote. As a leader, we're the people that need to be the constant, not the variable. That's it. Be the constant, not the variable. As humans, we look for consistency. Like when you're building a relationship with someone, and we'll talk about it from a, from a marriage standpoint. If I meet somebody and I start dating them and they're different on every date, and one day they're freaking out, one day they're fine, next day they're not, they're, they're up and down on this emotional roller coaster, that's not somebody that I see a sustainable future with, right? That's somebody that I'm like, this could be fun in the moment, but long-term, this isn't it. Um, and it's the same thing when we meet people, we always ask ourselves three things as humans. We ask them, can I trust them? What do they want from me? And do our values align? Those are the three big questions that subconsciously we ask when somebody is put in front of us. And so if you're not constant in your action and your reaction to things, those answers are all going to be, I don't know. And if they're, I don't know, then the trust is never built. It always stays stagnant at that base level. Um, and, and, you know, typically 18 to 22 year old kids can be very untrusting at times. Um, and so you have to build that and you have to do that by being the constant in their life. And same thing if you're the director and your GAs or assistants are looking to you. Um, I mean, you know, you've been doing this for a while. What if you dropped coffee on your, on your shirt at, in the McDonald's parking lot and then you show up and you blast everybody in a meeting at 9 a.m.? Like they're all going to be like, well, where did that come from? You know what I mean? So when people see things that are off baseline, they react adversely and they immediately pull back. They immediately pull back and that trust level goes down. And so th those are the things that allow you to coach people hard. Those are the things that allow you to push your staff to be the best that they can be is by building that and being the constant that they know what to expect from you. Again, just kind of trying to tie it all back together to, you know, the, the weight room aspect of it. Imagine the idea of being consistent to get results is what's most important. 100% man. And it's the same thing. The human mind and the human body work somewhat similar. If I came in every day, and why do we all bash CrossFit? Because there's no consistency, right? We all get on them and say they do something different every single day. Well, it's muscle confusion. Well, we all found out muscle confusion is not a real thing. And it's the same thing with, with leadership, right? We want a plan. We want guys to come in and know that we're going to progress from you know, our, our general prep phase to our specific prep to whatever we're doing. It's the same thing. We have to be consistent. If you want a stimulus in your, or if you want an adaptation, right, we have to impose the same stimulus for an extended period of time to get it. It's the same thing. It's like if I'm an inconsistent leader, it's like if I had guys come in one day and we're going to do, you know, high intensity hit training. And then the next day we come in and we're going to do, you know, a max effort singles and, and doubles. And then the next day we come in and we're just going to go out and just going to go run a mile and do steady state aerobic. Like it doesn't, there's no progression. There's no, there's no baseline. And so people want to build a baseline of, of other people's character. It's the same thing. We want to build a baseline of trust with you. We can't do that if the stimulus changes every single day. That's a great example. It hurts all my joints, but that's a great example. <laughs> you and me both, man. You and me both. 
Well, listen, Kitchen, I, I think this is great. And I think this is something that we need people to understand more and, and see more. So where can we get more information about this? What, what do we need to have people looking at? Where do they need to go? Because I think that, you know, what you're doing here is important and it's something that is going to provide a ton of value for, for not just us, but for like us and our departments, right? Like we always talk about like wanting a seat at the table. Well, this is how you get that seat. Absolutely. Absolutely, man. And I think it, it starts, um, you know, which is unfortunate for some strength coaches to hear, but it, it starts outside science, man. It starts outside strength and conditioning. It starts by reading things and, and exposing yourself to things that are, are mildly uncomfortable. Um, and so for me, I pull things from different marriage counselors. There's, there's a guy, man, he's named Dr. Honda. He's on YouTube. You can find him. He puts stuff out there about relationships and connecting with people and it's, and it's really, it's applicable, but you have to take off the hard hat and the meathead hat and be able to see through to what the message is. Right. And so reading things like Brene Brown, um, who put out, you know, daring greatly and all her research on vulnerability is, is really big for leadership. Um, obviously the classics of Dale Carnegie and, and how to win friends and influence people, you know, some of the culture books, good to great, that type of stuff. Um, we're all aware of ego is the enemy we all know that stuff in those ryan holiday books um but i don't know how much we follow them and so sometimes it might be helpful to get outside that and get into some you know some of the unbreakable mind type type books um trying to think of some other ones for you i mean I, I could type a whole list up and give it to you um but i think that's where you start and then and take 20 minutes out of your day and sit down and watch a ted talk on compassion on empathy and it's not soft, man. And that's what you realize. It's actually those types of things give you strength and you're able to handle situations a lot better and lead in, in a much better way. Um, shameless plug for my, for my own stuff, you know, edgeleadershipacademy.com. Um, I'm putting out blogs. I'm putting out videos. I'm trying to, trying to get that stuff out there. It's on Instagram and Twitter as well at edge leadership Academy. Um, and then myself, you know, obviously, and, and, I'm more than open. You know, I told you before we got on this, there's no secret sauce here. I'm, I'm stealing things from people left and right. And I'm just trying to add value. Um, and so if there's anybody that wants to reach out to me and, and ask questions, like I can point you in, in whatever direction you want to go. Um, and I'm more than open to sitting down with anybody about it. Dude, I love it. It's awesome. And we're going to make sure that we get all this stuff tagged in the notes uh, because you're doing great things, man. And I'm really fired up to see what you're doing and to, to see how this keeps growing. Because again, this is important. This is something that we need to take more seriously and something that can provide a ton of value to everybody. So I'm really glad to have you on today, David. I'm, I'm really excited. We got to, to sit and rap a bit. It, uh, it's, it's great. And I can't thank you enough for what you're doing to keep pushing us to be better, bro. Thank you so much. Oh, dude, I'm fired up, man. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, man. We'll be in touch real soon, Dave. Thank you so much. Thank you. Cheers.